Well, I felt like that song that we just sang that Chad led us in was like the proper, the right and appropriate response to the, uh, uh, to the words that Emily spoke this morning about hope. And that song kind of opened my heart up to uh, the God in whom, when I place my trust, and today we're actually talking about trust and faith, same ideas, same word, that my heart will not be shaken. And... Uh, Heaven knows my heart gets shaken a lot, so it's, uh, if you're like me, uh, to be able to stop and center ourselves around the truth of God uh, in Jesus, being the one when we place our faith in him, that he is a firm foundation. So that was a wonderful response. My name's Tom. I'm part of the leadership team at Bridges. I'm preaching today. Uh, Cliff's taken a a Sunday off, so we want to welcome you, especially if you're a visitor or here for one of the first few times. Glad you're with us. There's actually a envelope and a card in the in the pew in the seat chair in front of you, and you can sign that to record your presence. If you have prayer requests for anyone, please use that. And then, if you're um, a regular attender, you can use the envelope for your um, gifts and tithes and offerings, and put it in the box uh, on the way out uh, in the back. Um, well, as we come to this Sunday, we're, it's the first Sunday of Advent, and it's uh, where we start to turn to focus on the person of Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to look a little bit at Jesus, a story about Jesus uh, in the Gospels. Uh, I, uh, some years back, I found myself standing on a platform above uh, a canopy of trees in the forest in Big Bear Mountains, uh, about 10 stories high. Down below me, as I stood on a small platform, like two by two, uh, uh, looking at the top of the trees, <laughs> but down below was this woman named Ruth. She was this English woman. She's holding a rope. It's, I'm attached to a rope. She's got the other end of the rope, and she's yelling for me to jump. <laughs> jump, Tom, jump, you can do it. And I'm, everything inside of my body is saying, uh, I don't think I can do this. My memory went back to you know, when I was like eight years old and I flunked intermediate swimming at my high school because I couldn't jump off the diving board. I was too square, scared and in shame. I walked back off the diving board. I couldn't do it. Except this time, <laughs> there's no way down except to jump. And what she was inviting me to do was to jump to a trapeze bar hanging about six feet out from this platform. The goal was to grab the trapeze bar and have victory holding on to it and then I was supposed to let go of the trapeze bar and fall 10 floors down to the forest floor. Now I'm on belay, I'm on the rope, so I know it's safe and so forth, but my body senses are telling me I've never done this and this feels, I was very afraid, right? I'm just like, I've never done this and this feels fear of heights. I'm feeling it, right? And 10 stories up, you know, this is something else. Um, well, on that day, I, I, I did jump. I actually grabbed the bar. Yeah. And then, uh, and I was so happy. But then I realized, right, seconds after that, I actually have to let go, which was the hard, I could jump, but now I had to let go. It was like, no, I'm frozen here. And then I went boom and just, well, not boom. <laughs> so I, I went down fast and then she kind of did her thing and just kind of like a feather. I just landed on my backside, right? Just gently on the forest floor. And I was like, I did this. I can't believe it. It was, uh, you know, if you're thinking about faith, and today the sermon style is reckless faith, 
I mean, in my head, I know it's not reckless. I mean, they got insurance that people don't, this is like pretty safe, right? But in my body, it, all my sensations were like, this feels like a reckless thing to be doing. And faith-wise, it felt really kind of uh, like, you know, I'm doing this. So I had faith in the woman. I had faith in the equipment. But my, again, my senses were like, this is uh, kind of reckless to be doing this. So this morning, I want to look at two portraits of faith, of reckless faith. Um, the first is from Scripture. The second's from a friendship or a relationship that I had with a, a student. I'm a campus minister by day, and so this was with a friend that I developed a friendship with, a student oh, some years back uh, named Peter. So um, the portraits are about reckless faith, about going all in, um, you know, kind of doing something with abandon, right? And uh, it's a faith that, uh, you know, it breaks social rules sometimes. It, it, it kind of pushes past convention. It kind of uh, steps into the unknown. It defies common sense. It risks being kind of misunderstood by others. It's this kind of faith or trust or confidence in God that I want to talk about today. The prize of reckless faith uh, in terms of Christian faith uh, is what we sang about in the song. It's to know the power of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, the love of Jesus, uh, and to see our lives not be shaken because we've put everything and we banked it all on Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So I'm going to read from Mark 5. This is a story, if you may be familiar to you. So it's the story of a woman... um, in the scripture from Mark 5, verse uh, 25 and forward, that's uh, uh, suffering. She uh, yeah, needs to put her faith somewhere, so, and she's done that to uh, quite a bit of loss. So Jesus is walking. Um, he's got crowds of folks with him. He's actually on his way to go heal a, a, a man's daughter who's really sick and near death. And so he's kind of making a beeline there. But along the way, he has this encounter. In verse 25. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She'd endured much under many physicians and had spent all she had. She was no better, but rather grew worse. She'd heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd, and she touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling. She fell down before him, and she told him, the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Well, the first observation I make is that reckless faith arises from a desperate condition. Let's take a look at a few things about this woman's life that uh, help us understand her desperateness and her condition. The first is she's simply a woman in first century uh, Roman-occupied Palestine. Uh, so as a woman, uh, uh, she's um, at the bottom of kind of the social totem pole. So in that culture, especially in terms of Roman perspectives on women, uh, 
Uh, she's the source of most sin. And certainly any sexual sin, it was, it's the woman uh, in that culture that was the source of that. Um, she was exploited. And even in Jewish culture, there's a document, uh, ethical document written called the Surak in the first, uh, well, second century. But in it, it would say something like this. A little, there was a little bit better perspective in Judaism around women at that time, but it wasn't uh, certainly not how we perceive uh, women today in culture, but women are good wives or they're a problem. Uh, so women did not, just by being a woman, uh, she was suffering because, uh, socially. She had challenges socially. Um, then the text tells us that she'd been suffering from hemorrh- hemorrhages for 12 years. So um, the text here, the original language is from a flow of blood. What it means is she'd been having a, basically a, her period, her menstruation had been happening nonstop for 12 years. Um, it's kind of hard to conceive of that. So, um, and so her situation then, um, they didn't have the kind of uh, things for women that, you know, to address that during today. So she's got rags. They're getting soiled. She's using them. There's a smell and odor around her. Uh, and she is suffering uh, physically from discomfort, pain, bloating, cramping. Um, and this has been going on for 12 years. Uh, nonstop. It's just a constant part of her life. And she spent all her money going to doctors, and she's not gotten better. Okay, I'm going to use this microphone. Okay, I'm going to use this. Um, yeah, she's uh, physically, she's not doing well. And she spent all her money, and she's not better. Um, yeah, what's it like when you know, you go to the doctor and you're banking on some kind of remedy, right? Something that's going to help you. And, um, and they don't know what's wrong. And they don't know what to say. And even they treat you and it actually causes you to be worse than when you started at the doctor. Talk about a life of hopelessness and despair. So that's, this, uh, that's her, her suffering social, her suffering is physical as well. Um, and then her suffering's religious and it's relational. Because in that culture, in Leviticus and Old Testament, it says a woman, uh, when they're menstruating, they're to be separate uh, from others in the Christian or the religious community, in the um, Hebraic Jewish community. And so she couldn't go to worship during that time. Um, and for this woman, though, it's like nonstop. So she, it's not only for that period of a month, but it's like all the time. So she's excluded from the community of faith, uh, of, of Judaism. So she's not going to temple or to the synagogue. She's, she's unclean. And uh, what the law had prescribed as a time of monthly separation was now going on like nonstop for her all the time. The story makes no mention of a husband or family, but you get this picture of uh, separateness, alienation, uh, alone, being alone in the midst of her, her suffering. Her suffering's economic. We already established that, right? The text says, you know, she spent all she had uh, on doctors. And then her suffering's just emotional, right? If we just step, stop, rather, sit in her shoes, um, alone in pain that's ongoing, some of us can um, relate to that. Uh, Little hope, little sense of what's going to change that. Angry, maybe, humiliated despairing. Um, she's dying a slow dash, death, really, uh, because that actually 
you know, anemia. I mean, the kind of the end result of that is not good. Um, so she's alone, and this is her life until the text says she heard about Jesus. Well, I want to share about a contemporary example, a friend of mine, um, Peter. Peter was a student um, when I was a campus pastor at UC Riverside, and Peter um, was uh, from Orange County. He had MS, so he walked. Uh, his spinal cord was crooked. His hips were one piece instead of two. He walked with a limp, um, and uh, his nerves were kind of shot in parts of his body, his back. Um, so he was sick in a sense. Uh, physically, he'd been living with this for a long time, but then emotionally, too, um, Peter had the unfortunate experience of growing up and being made fun of because of his physical condition. So he had kids at school, he told me, that said, um, I don't know how they came up with this eloquent language, but uh, very hurtful, uh, cut off that dead branch so the tree will grow better, kids said about him. Uh, we don't want you to be on our team because then we're going to lose. Um, over time, Peter started, took in some of these words, and they started to identify them. He began to believe people's lies about his life and about who he was, um, he was always looking for acceptance, always looking to be grafted back into that tree. Um, and even as a, um, and it was even happening for him in a church community that he was a part of. So he came to UCR, his heart's tender, he'd been wounded, he was self-protective, felt alone. Um, he entered into our fellowship, and uh, he came with us. Um, when I was standing on that tree, there was actually a group of students down below, and We've been doing different activities. Peter was there at that, that uh, retreat, and we had done some lower element things, not all 10 stories high, praise God. So, uh, And uh, people have said, come, Peter, you can join in on this, join in on that, but he, he declined. He went, actually, he left the whole thing. He went back to his cabin um, to be alone. Uh, but then a little later in that afternoon, he began to hear from Jesus. Um, Another observation I make from this text is that reckless faith believes that Jesus can make a difference. The woman had heard about Jesus. If you read Mark 1 to 5, there's numerous accountings of Jesus doing healing. So he heals a, an unclean spirit out of a man in Capernaum. If you, some of you are familiar with Mark chapter 2, there's a story of some guys that bring their buddy on a mat and they can't get into this house that's all crowded with people, so they they tear part of the roof off and lower him down. There's numerous accountings of, uh, of Jesus doing healing, casting out demons. And so the word on the street is something about Jesus being uh, a miracle doer or a miracle healer. Um, she'd heard about him with the sick and the demon possessed. Did she believe that he was God incarnate in human form? There's nothing in the text that gives us any indication. And certainly in the first four chapters of Mark, that's a veiled identity of Jesus in some ways. So I think it would be stretched to say that she believed he was God in human form, God incarnate. But she did know that he was healing people. Um, Jesus had power. Then it says in the text that she believed something. This is a very critical point, verse 28, because at this point, her information about Jesus turned and became belief. It became some kind of trust or confidence in Jesus. It wasn't just information. Now it turned into some kind of a belief. Um, and if she had just been curious, now in her desperation, she was going to bank somehow on Jesus' healing her as he had healed other people. Um, 
just want to pause here just for a little time out for us and ask the question, what have you heard about Jesus? It's the core question around Christian faith is what do you actually believe about who Jesus is? And just I want to just pause. What, what have you really heard and what do you really think and believe about Jesus? And how high is your confidence today in Jesus to take the things of the song that would shake you and actually cause you to have a firm foundation. As we continue in the text, the invitation of the text, as you can probably foresee, is to place our confidence in Jesus. I just want to pause and cause us to ask, what have you heard about Jesus, and what level of confidence do you have today at any place where you're feeling fear or hopelessness or despair or uncertainty or a need for guidance? What do you really believe about Jesus? And let's, I just want to pray and ask Jesus to give us ears to hear what he wants to say to each of us wherever we're at around believing and putting faith in him. So just pray with me. Lord, as we come to this moment, we just say, um, help us see you and hear from you. You know each of our lives where we're at, whether we've placed our confidence in you at all, or in what degree we've done that, and even where we're at in our own lives today, help us to hear what you want to say to each one of us. Amen. Well, Peter had heard a lot about Jesus growing up. So he'd grown up in the church, uh, Sunday school, Christian camps, in a uh, Chinese church in Orange County. So he'd, he'd been in Christian schools. He'd heard a lot about Jesus. And on that morning, when the group was up doing these activities with these ropes and these high elements in the forest at this camp, uh, what he heard about Jesus um, began to kind of squelch or overpower some of the fear that he was feeling inside. By fear, by the emotion of his past experiences he'd had, he'd had uh, this tender heart because his heart had been kind of um, wounded by other people. Um, he recognized some things about himself, he told me later, that, uh, in that experience. He recognized he was dominated in his life by three things. He said, I'm desi- dominated by my desire to please others, uh, the pressure to perform, and an immense fear of rejection. Um, those were things he carried within him, um, just in how he lived. He'd always said, oh, no, 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 I like to watch. You know, it's fun to cheer everyone on, but not really. Um, he watched others prepare for the elements of the course, climbing, so forth, this type of thing. And he decided that back in his room that he was going to pray. Something about information about Jesus, and he had a lot, 20 years, he would learned a lot. Something shifted in a fresh way about belief and confidence for him that day. He told me as he began to talk to God and pray, alone in his room where others are out, um, he realized that his fear wasn't totally about just people. Um, he said his fear was really about in, rooted in two things. One, what Jesus thought about him. Did Jesus think about him the way that others thought about him? And then two, was what he thought Jesus would do or wouldn't do for him. Um, for years he'd lived a life knowing that Jesus had always, but he had known about Jesus but had been enslaved by this fear, uh, fear and opinions of others. But on this day, he had, there was something shifting. These thoughts were rattling around in his head that maybe 
there was another kind of life that Jesus actually had for him. Um, when he looked around, he recognized he'd been given a bunch of friends, people that were cheering him on. There was a community there that was, in a sense, for him, maybe in a way he hadn't really experienced before. And also one of the most kind of buff guys that was on the retreat was totally afraid of the, all of what we were doing there, just climbing up like like eight feet. The guy was like freaking out. So Peter took confidence. <laughs> I can maybe be better than him. So whole, the whole comparison thing, he maybe was still in process about the comparison thing, but he, he, he latched onto that. It helped him. So, but Jesus had a word for him that day that Jesus wanted, I think, to evict him, he would say, from a life of fear that he'd been living for a long, long time. Another observation from the text is that reckless faith acts. Reckless faith acts. The text says in verse 27 that the woman came up, she came to Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd. Um, This is where her faith, her belief, something, information, moving to belief, to faith, this is where it becomes reckless. This was not appropriate, (laughs) what she was doing. Uh, She's flagrantly disregarding the Levitical law. Some that in this period of having a period, if they had to go out in public, they would have to say unclean. They would walk around in public, unclean, unclean, so that no one would come close to them. No one would touch them. So she's not doing that. She's pressing in. She's disregarding the law, um, and she is uh, she's leaving her customary position at the outside or at the back, and she's pushing forward. Uh, risking touching and contaminating other people. Um, it was very inappropriate in the culture, but it was very appropriate given what she understood about who Jesus was. Then the text says that she touched his cloak. She reached out and touched. The word means to take hold of. She grabbed on to his cloak. She said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Her coming, her touching, her grabbing, and her holding is the expression of her faith. If someone asks you, what does faith mean? Tell them about this woman. This is a picture of faith. And the picture of faith is at the moment when she grabs a hold of this cloak. Everything is bound up in that one act. That's faith. Right there is a picture for us of her faith. Touching the cloak, recklessly, faith acts. Well, that afternoon with Peter back at the camp, he's in his cabin. He's having this kind of God moment with Jesus, uh, reckoning with things that he believes about himself and things that he's fearing and wondering about what Jesus believes about him. So he um, decides to touch Jesus' cloak himself that day to reach out and grab the cloak. He decides to take a step of faith. So um, he decides to act, and Jesus uh, just kind of comes in, evicts him from a life of fear. So he comes out, and he joins others, and he stands at the bottom of a three-story pole, not a ten-story pole, a three-story pole, um, and he, uh, he decides to take the invitation of Ruth. You know, she's told me I could do it. She tells Peter, you could do it, Peter. So he decides He's going to climb a 35-foot pole. Um, that'd be hard for many of us anyway, just to climb a 35. It's just a pole. I mean, it's, and it's just, there's nothing, there's no platform on this pole. It's just a pole, 35 feet. And so he decides he's going for it. So he starts to climb. 
Uh, and so folks are uh, cheering him on. So he couldn't stand on top of the pole. That was the idea. You stand on top of the pole. You get up to it, which uh, it's really hard to climb a pole and then to stand on it. So he decides he can't stand on it just physically. So he just sits on it. So he does make it to the top of the pole. And he manages to get his bottom up, and he's just sitting on the pole. And people are, like, totally cheering for him. And he's like, yeah, I did it. I mean, I I was amazed that he was able to do it. So he went for that, and he um, he climbed the full pole. He got to the top, and that, to me, was a picture of his reckless faith, of his deciding to touch Jesus' cloak and say, I'm going to do something with risk. Don't know how it's going to turn out, but I'm going to I'm going to do this because Jesus is doing something new in me. I wouldn't have done this at another time, he said. But I'm going to do this today. Um, Christian faith is demonstrated by action and by reckless confidence in Jesus, by going all in. Um, it invites the power of Jesus to give us a new way of living. And that's what was happening for Peter, a new way of living that was free, free of what others thought, free of self-deprecation, free of lies of the enemy, free to be who he was, made in God's image, marred by brokenness of our world, by the disease that he had, but free. Freed from all the things that had bound his heart. Another observation from the text is that reckless faith collides with Jesus' power when we act. So Jesus... uh, he, the text tells us, recognized power had gone out from him when a woman touched him. The woman touched his cloak in faith. Um, he turned around and he said, who touched my clothes? And, um, of course, his disciples around him said, how do you know who touched your clothes? There's all these people around. But he knew. He knew that someone had touched his clothes in a way different than anyone else in that crowd. Someone had touched with hope and confidence that he could do something. So Jesus' angst grew, and kind of like a, 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 you know, like a parent who hears the distinctive cry of their kid in a crowd, um, you know, he's like, he recognizes there's a something's happened. He says, no, really, who touched my clothes? Um, so the woman had been healed at that point of her disease. Um, mission accomplished. <laughs> She'd hoped to come in kind of like a stealth healing, right? In and out, real quick, right? Not seen, not heard, just out, right? And get the healing. Um, it was just going to be kind of like a in and out. And it, but there was a collision between uh, not just her sickness in Jesus' power, but her fear in Jesus' power. Mm. What she had planned is a hit-and-run power encounter that would remain concealed, was unraveling into a very public event. So um, she was not to have been seen or to have been known, and her public exposure in the midst of her recklessness was actually what she feared the most. This is what she feared the most uh, because of the ramifications. So uh, trembling with fear, um, she's being exposed. Um, The considerable social consequences of her reckless behavior kind of washed over her. She knows this is not what's supposed to happen, and she decides to go and fall down before Jesus. She does, and um, 
much like a father who finds a crying child um, who's been hurt or scared, um, uh, he allows, uh, he asks what's happening, and he allows the woman to tell her whole story, um, to tell the text is to tell the whole truth. Um, isn't that interesting why the text is modified, like with tell the whole truth? I kind of always wondered about that. What does that mean? Why didn't she say he told the truth? She told the truth about her life. Text says the whole truth. Uh, what truth is so large, so big that needed modifying by being whole? The whole truth. A little bit read, reading between the lines for me, anyway. Is I think that Jesus stopped and he listened to her whole story from beginning to end. What what was her sickness about? How had she endured this? What has her life like? What was the experience of having uh, being in a menstrual cycle uh, for 12 years, nonstop? What had it been like socially, friendship-wise, relationally? I think Jesus uh, listened to her story of talking about being abused by doctors, of having no hope. Um, what Jesus did was uh, complete the full healing that she needed. Because what she needed in that culture was to be restored in the legitimacy of her person, to be restored into community as a person of worth and a person of value, to reestablish her presence there, and to be seen as a person uh, made uh, in God's image and to have a person of dignity. And then Jesus did what's a little different than what any parent would do in trying to help their child. Uh, And he said, uh, he called her by name. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Five years ago, I uh, went to Peter's parents' house in uh, Brea, uh, where at age 37, Peter's um, MS remained the same, but cancer had come and was about to take his life. I went into the bedroom that he was in at his parents' house, and uh, I talked with him. And uh, he died within that week, and he was 37, um, and it was cancer that came and um, took us, took him from his family and from many that knew him. Um, But what I remember the most about being with him was a man that was completely free. He was free from all the things that had bound him, free from all the things that had caused him to live his life uh, listening to other voices than the voice of God, to listening to, um, uh, uh, to, to, the, to the voices of other people, the ways that he'd been freed from hopelessness, the ways he'd been freed not just from, but freed into, right? He'd been freed into a life of joy, a life of hope, a life of faith and confidence in this Jesus who walked with him in the midst of his ongoing suffering and struggle with MS, but even in this season of walking towards the other side of this life into eternity. Um, God had evicted him uh, from, free, from the, the you know, given him freedom from the things that bound him here, and he was about to evict him, in a sense, from this physical life, but into a life with God in Jesus, into eternity. And I just was so amazed and struck by the kind of freedom that he had. And I just remember at that moment, I just like, man, I want that freedom for myself. I want to live 
with a reckless faith that is all out, all in for God, and where I know the freedom that comes from Jesus being um, the one in whom my faith is placed, and I can have a firm foundation, as we sang about earlier this morning. Um, So I want to draw us to a close. I want to actually um, ask us to pause before we enter into communion uh, and ask a couple questions about how do I respond to the story of this woman from the text, from Scripture, and then uh, my friend Peter. And the question I want to ask is really about the nature of your faith. So you may be here today, and uh, you're curious about faith. Maybe you're actually skeptical, but you're here with a friend, um, and we're glad you're here. And uh, you might be curious. Some of you, probably many of us, that are in the room, what brings us here today is we actually at some point have placed uh, our confidence in Jesus. Um, and we've, we're trying to live uh, like that confidence out <laughs> in the midst of life today. Um, and Jesus, I think, asks us a question from the text today, and it's about the nature of our faith. So I want to pose a couple questions for us. What is the nature of the faith you have today for the life circumstances you're in? And where is, what is Jesus inviting you to do to take a step forward? Maybe not to climb a 35-foot pole and sit on it, uh, but a step of faith. Reckless faith acts. It places confidence in Jesus and takes a step toward Jesus. So is your faith today, is it an onlooking faith? Kind of like Peter was with friends that didn't treat him well. He's always in the back. Or the woman, always at the back of the crowd, not really a part of things, just kind of looking, wondering. Is your faith an onlooking faith? Is Jesus calling you to get in the game, to act, to choose, to be deliberate, to be intentional, to do something of risk, placing confidence in Jesus in some relationship or in some other circumstance, to move from onlooking to a faith that's in the game? Or today, you just might simply be here like, I have faith, but it just is not enough. My faith is not enough for what I need. It's a lack of faith. I need more faith. I need more confidence in Jesus. I need others to pray for me. I need Jesus to come and restore my confidence in him. It could be that uh, it's that kind of uh, invitation today to grab for the cloak, to put Uh, to call out to Jesus to give you more faith and maybe to call out to others to stand alongside you uh, as well. Um, Could be today that uh, part of the faith that Jesus is calling you out of is a fearful faith. You might have faith, but it seems to be have a constant companion of fear. Um, I'd suggest the opposite of faith in the Scripture is fear, and the opposite of fear in the Scripture is faith. And that today maybe Jesus is causing, calling you to Get yourself evicted in some way from a fear that's glommed onto your heart, fear that's um, captivated your mind, fear that's bound you or paralyzed you uh, or that is a cause of constant anxiety. Jesus has an invitation today, and that's to take and give that to him, that fear, and allow faith to bloom and to grow and to become source of real presence and power of Jesus and to experience the love of God in a fresh way. And then maybe the invitation today is simply, you have faith and Jesus is calling you to be a little more reckless. Uh, You play it safe in relationships or in other circumstances with your resources. And he's saying, act. Choose to grab the cloak. 
reach out and grab a hold of me and choose to live a life that's free and full of the power and presence of Jesus. I want to invite the ushers up as we enter into communion. And I want to just have a moment of uh, prayer and just silence to sit with those questions and ask Jesus, what, what do you want me to do in terms of acting in, with a fresh confidence as you see my life today, Jesus? So let's just take a moment of silence as the ushers come forward.